Amen. You have me on, David? Is it working now? All right. Praise the Lord. See, sometimes you just need to take a little break and look things over and bring it all together and move ahead. Amen. Praise the Lord. I hope you've been enjoying this series of messages entitled Chain Breaker. You know, there are various types of, of, of chains that will hold us. And the interesting thing about Mr. Jonah that we're going to learn today is that he was never really in prison as we would think about prison, but he was inside the, the, the belly of a whale. I always want to say the welly of a bale, but that's not right. The belly of a whale, his own kind of prison. And then we're going to see later as we get into a different kind of prison that held his attitude. Let me just say to you today that this, this has been a hard message for me to process this week. It really has. You know, it's not nearly as hard to preach when I feel like that I, I'm preaching at you. But when I feel like I'm preaching at me, it gets, it gets a little bit sticky there because it's like, oh, I don't know if I really want to say that or not because I don't know that I really want to hear that. But I've, I have found some things this week in my own spirit that I've had to address with the Lord. There have been uh, some seasons where I just had to go out on the porch and just kind of get by myself and say, Lord, I need to repent. I need to ask you to forgive me because this thing that I just wrote and put down in my notes is something that has affected my own spirit. And so, Father, I need for you to forgive me of this. So today, as I preach, just remember that if I pause occasionally, it's probably because I'm processing something in my own heart and something in my own mind that needs to be taken care of. But aren't you glad that the word is good for that very kind of thing? Amen. And preachers need to listen to their own sermons every now and then. Amen. And hear what it is that they're saying. So today's going to be one of those days. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them and turn with me to Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 through 10. Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 through 10. Amen. Beginning at verse 1, it says, This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. I could stop right there, and some of you could go home right now knowing that you've heard a word from the Lord. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarsus. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. So Lord, just kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Amen. I just need to stop. And just take that in just for a moment. Lord, just go ahead and kill me now. I'd rather be dead than have to go through what it is I'm going to have to go through because of my lack of sensitivity to the voice of the Spirit. And then the Lord replied, replied is it right for you to be angry about this? 
And then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged a worm. Uh Uh-oh. And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. And the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and and he wished to die. (laughs) And he said, death is certainly better than living like this. (laughs) I don't know. I've said that before, I think. Then God said to Jonah, is it right For you to be angry because the plant died. Yes, Jonah said. Even angry enough to die. And then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Father, thank you for your word today. This one's a tough one for me. I need you to help me. Because, Lord, I need to preach it with conviction, whether it lands on my toes or anyone else's in this building today. I may be preaching to no one but myself, but Lord, I will preach. And at the conclusion of this message, message, I've already made up mine. I'm going to receive from you the word that you have for me this day. Speak to our hearts. Let us open our minds and our ears to you today that we might receive from you what we have need of. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of us know the story of Jonah. We've heard it so many times that it's familiar. It's one of the most familiar stories in the passage, in in Scripture. Many of you probably started learning about Jonah and the whale when you were just a young kid in Sunday school, if you've been in church that long. But we don't always get the full effect of the story unless we study it very deeply. Now, Uh, uh, people who study scripture, they don't actually know whether or not Jonah is a true story or not. There are some who believe that it's historically accurate, but there are others who believe that it's nothing more than an allegorical study, that it, that it is a parable, that it's a, it's a story that God sent through someone to be spoken, but that it actually did not happen. So my response to that is simply this. Whether it is allegorical or whether it is true means nothing to me because the Word of God was given to us. Every jot, every cross T, everything about it is ours so that we can take it and learn from it and be strengthened by the Word of God. But I'm just going to go ahead and go on record in saying that if the God that I serve could speak the words and the worlds could come into existence, 
If Jesus Christ could step out on the edge of a boat and speak to a storm and say, peace, be still, then I believe that my God is able to prepare a fish to swallow up a disobedient prophet and keep him safe until the time came for him to repent of his sinfulness. So you can take it how you want, but it is the Word of God. We understand that that Jonah dealt with many different things in this passage of Scripture. First of all, he was disobedient. God spoke to him, and and God told him what to do, and and Jonah just decided, I don't want to do that. I've, I've made up my mind that I'm going to do something totally different than what God wants me to do. And so he found himself being disobedient to the voice of the Lord. He finally overcame his disobedience and preached the gospel, the message that that God had given him, and great things happened. Revival came through the words of the prophet Jonah. But he still was not fighting the battles in his mind. I'd like to say to you today that the most important aspect of this story is the battle in Jonah's mind over an issue that we're going to identify as resentment. Resentment. So today I want to talk to you about Jonah's bondage to resentment. Now it's okay with me today if you want to sit quietly and listen today. You may not want to shout a lot today because we're talking about something that many of us have dealt with in our lives that some of us may be dealing with today and we've never had the spiritual willingness to get that resentment under control and move beyond it. But I want to say to you today that if there is resentment in our life, we will never be able to grow and mature in our relationship with God. And we will never be able to be all that God intends for us to be until we get it under control. So let's start with this. Resentment always begins with disappointment. And then develops because of a decision to take on an offense. Let me say that again. Resentment always begins with disappointment. And then it develops because of a decision to take on an offense. A couple, two or three years ago, we had an evangelist here by the name of Larry Timmerman who spoke a word that has impacted my life since he said it. Because he said, I have made a decision in my life. I have chosen not to take offense. And it dawned on me that offense is not something that the enemy of my soul can put on me without my permission. I have the power and the anointing of God, the ability to refuse to take on the offense that the enemy would want me to live with. It always starts with disappointment. And then it develops in us because of a decision to take on an offense. When the 17th century British military and political leader Oliver Cromwell set for his official portrait, he told the individual who was going to paint him, he said, I want the future generations to be able to see me as I am. He said, so I want you to paint me as you see me, warts and all. 
And ever since he made that statement, this terminology, warts and all, has been used to point to the fact that we are all imperfect people. We may have too many freckles or we may, we, you know, we, we, our eyes may not be open wide enough or our feet may be crossed just a little bit and we see those things and, and we see them as imperfections. But listen, we are who we are and we are fearfully and wonderfully made by our creator. And so what we need to do is accept who we are, warts and all. And that's what Jonah did when he wrote chapter 4. He basically was saying, I want you to see a side of me that you might not would see unless I choose to reveal it to you, warts and all. You see, if it had been me writing the book of Jonah, I would have stopped at chapter 3. Because at the end of chapter 3, we saw a great revival. I mean, the the power of God had fallen upon the city of Nineveh. And according to Scripture, 120,000 individuals uh, had turned their lives over to Jehovah. I mean, the message that Jonah preached impacted the entire city. Nineveh would not be the same because of the anointed word of God that went forth uh, from Jonah. He should have stopped right there. He should have just put a period at the end and said, story over. But he chose to write chapter 4 as well. And chapter 4 is a a recording of or a record of a a failure that takes place in Jonah's life after the victory. Now, we used to sing in, in the old church, we used to sing this song. I, I used to love it because all the, all the people would start shouting and they'd start to have, victory, victory, victory is mine. I've had it in my soul since Jesus made me whole. You remember it? Victory, victory, victory is mine. The victory today is mine. Boom, put a period on it. That's all you need to know. Victory is mine in Jesus' name. But Sunday afternoon, I got mad and I lost my temper. And I said something to my wife that I shouldn't have said. And I got impatient with my children. And I had to go to work the next day and my boss wore me out and it made me mad. And I went outside and I decided that this victory that I had in church yesterday was no longer appropriate for the circumstances that I was facing today. And that's exactly what Jonah showed us in chapter 4. Because chapter 3 was victory today is mine. And chapter 4 was, but I screwed up again. Oh, I'm sorry. I I shouldn't have said screwed up. Some of you get mad and find another church. I'm sorry. I, I, I messed up again. And that's what he's showing us. He's showing us his warts. And in this situation is where God comes to him and says, why are you such an angry individual? Can you not see what I've done? Can you not see how I've used you? Can can you not see how I have provided for you? And yet, here you are sitting in chapter 4 angrier than you've ever been. And when we see him there, we see that Jonah had lost all sense of perspective. Listen, Not because something bad 
had happened to someone good, but because something good had happened to people that he considered unworthy. Let me say that again. Jonah got upset not because something bad had happened to someone good, but because something good had happened to people he considered unworthy. I could just preach right there for about 15 minutes, but I'm going to move on right now. But I wouldn't be surprised if, if I came back to it when I start feeling anointed here in just a few minutes. This thing of resentment is something that touches so many of our lives. And you know, I, I like to cut up and I like to have a good time with you and I like to be able to preach in such a way that we can have fun. But let me tell you today that if you have anger and resentment that is built up in your spirit and in your life, you will never be able to operate in the victory that God has for you. You will never be able to rise to the level of maturity that God wants you to rise to. You will never be able to be used by his spirit the way that he desires to use you as long as you've determined that you're going to hold on and be bound to this spirit of resentment. So let's talk about resentment today. And number one, I want you to see that resentment will destroy your peace. Man, I'm telling you, there are times in life when we're just at peace, everything is going well, and, and, and we can point to the good things that God has done, and, and we can just kind of breathe easy and know that all is in God's hands and all is well. And then there are those other moments and those other times when it seems like that all of hell is breaking loose against us, and, and we don't know how to act, and we don't know what to do, and we don't know what the answer is. But, but, but when we allow anger to grab a hold of our our spirit and grab hold of us, it will take our peace away from us. Now, the, the Hebrew word that is used here when it says that Jonah was angry and upset is the word that means to burn. It literally means to burn and extinguish or, 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 or to ignite, excuse me. So, so what we see here is this transformation in Jonah where he goes from having preached the word of God, 120,000 people turn from their sins and come to God and now Jonah is upset about it and angry about it and mad about it and is fuming all because God disowned him in his mind. God revealed him, at least in his mind. Now, have you ever had a situa situation like that where you took a step of faith in the name of the Lord and then it didn't happen the way that you thought it would? And then you don't get mad at yourself. You don't, you don't look at yourself. You don't say, what might I have done differently? Instead, you say to God, I'm upset with you. Because I was so sure, I was so certain that you were going to give me what I needed to accomplish this thing. I was so sure that I was doing the right thing. I was so sure that I was saying the right words. I was so sure that I, I'd waited and then I had been patient long enough. I was so sure. And now here I am. I'm out here in this mess. And it's all because of you. 
Now, what happened was is that Jonah, when he first went to Nineveh, if you'll remember, he said, in just a little bit of time, all of you are going to be destroyed, every one of you. God's wrath is going to come down upon you. And he prophesied this word to the Ninevites. But instead of God's wrath coming down on them, God's mercy came to them. And it irritated Jonah because I prophesied something negative on them. And then I knew it. I just knew it, God. I knew that you would turn around and that you would provide mercy and that you would give them grace. And you would bring them close to your bosom. And that you would love them when they were unlovable. That's why I didn't want to say it. That's why I didn't want to prophesy it. That's why I didn't want to give the word. Because I knew what you were going to do. But he prophesied the negative word against them anyway. And when God gave them grace. And when God gave them mercy. It angered Jonah. And he lost his peace. It's been three long, silent years. But thank God, finally, Taylor Swift is back on the radio. She has new music and apparently a new attitude. In the opening weekend, the first single from her new album called Reputation was downloaded over 184,000 times on iTunes. The song set a new global first day record on Spotify with over 8 million streams. And that was all before the music video was released. When the music video was released on MTV, according to YouTube, the song Look What You Made Me Do was played more than 43.2 million times in the first 20 four hours. Is that sinking in? The largest one day sum from any video in history. It was viewed 30,000 times every minute. Think about it. You got it? In the song, Swift seems to be punching somebody right in the face or everybody right in the face. Listen to the lyrics. It says, the world moves on another day, another drama. Drama sounds like Facebook, doesn't it? But not for me, not for me. All I think about is karma. And then the world moves on, but one thing's for sure. Baby, I got mine, but you'll all get yours. I got smarter and I got harder just in the nick of time. Honey, I rose up from the dead and I do it all the time. But I've got a list of names. And yours is in red underlined. I don't know. I'm frightened just thinking about it. <laughs> Since the song was released, millions of people, along with news reporters, have been wondering and asking Miss Swift... Who angered you so? Who made you so mad? Who is the you that did this? Who forced your hand? Who ignited such vengeful energy in you? Who gave birth to such a dark persona? 
I have a mess. I have a question even better than any of those. I want to know who and why does her angry, resentful message resonate with millions of people around the world? Why are millions of people so infatuated with this song that is full of resentful spirits and lyrics? Why? I'll tell you why. Because there's no peace in the world that we're living in today. There is no peace. Everybody's angry. Everybody, everybody's mad. You just pick a politician. You can find something to get mad at them about. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. You can find something to be mad about. You can be mad at Hillary explaining to everybody why it happened and how it happened. Or you can be mad at the president for his Twitter account and the things that he says. And you can be mad about the tax code. And you can be mad about the, the, the pension program in Kentucky. And you can be mad about this and mad about that and mad about somebody across the aisle from you. You can be mad, 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 mad. But don't forget what my mama used to say. You can get glad the same way that you got mad. Amen. It's your choice. There's no peace. Resentment number two will divert your purpose. Anger has a far more debilitating effect on us than it does the one who is the object of our resentment. If you're mad at somebody, let me tell you who's suffering. It's you. It's not them. You've allowed that anger to get in your spirit and affect you. And the person that, it, that you're angry with, they've moved on and gone on in life. He became so self-centered that twice in chapter 4 he said, It is better for me that I die than I live. Man, that's some deep stuff right there. That's some anger that's built up. And the reason that he would make that statement is because he has, his vision has been diverted from his purpose. His purpose was to encourage and edify and preach, preach the message of God to the Ninevites. But now he wasn't concerned at all about the Ninevites. He didn't care if they lived or died. The only thing he wanted was relief from this spirit of resentment that was in him. His attention had been diverted away from his primary purpose. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. It says, His divine power is granted to us all things, say all things, that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness fastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For listen, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted. Can I just say that means self-absorbed? 
so self-absorbed that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, in other words, with all of those things in mind, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these things, you will never fall. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26, it says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at, at, at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. Listen, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that would be far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You know what these scriptures are saying? They're saying that all of us have a purpose that all of us have been created by God for a reason and for a purpose. And the devil wants to try to get your attention diverted from the thing that you were created for so that you're no longer pleasing God and operating in the anointing that he has blessed you with. God wants to use you. God has a plan for you. God has a desire to take you from where you are to where you can be beneficial to the kingdom of God. But see, Jonah got his attention diverted because he allowed an attitude to creep up within him. And that's what the New Testament writers are saying. They're saying, hey, don't forget the fact that you were called by God and given a purpose and given a reason for living. Whatever you do, don't let the enemy divert your attention to something other than your purpose. See, we can get so consumed with something that we take our eyes off of the prize. There's a term that we use sometimes. It's called rubbernecking. How many of you have ever heard of it? In fact, I'm told that Elvis Presley sang a song called rubbernecking. Is that true? Nobody knows. How many of you were alive when Elvis was? Do you remember a song that he sang called rubbernecking? I, I watched it this week because I'd never heard of it. And you know what it is? You know that Elvis had an eye for the women. You know that, right? And so if he was with a woman, he'd be walking with that woman when another woman would walk by and Elvis would rubberneck <laughs> to get his eyes on someone else. Did you know that rubbernecking causes more automobile accidents than anything else in the world. 
more than texting, more than drunk driving, rubbernecking causes more accidents because you're going down a road and something catches your attention and it's Can I tell you that rubbernecking in the spirit gets more people off course than anything else that I know of. Lord, help me not to say some of the things I'd like to say right now. But I hope that that one statement will go deep down in some of you and some of you who are watching on Facebook today. Have you allowed something to catch your eyes that you know is not God's will for your life? That you know is not his purpose for you. But you have got into the flesh and you started considering options that are contrary to God's calling upon your life. And you are in a state of rubbernecking. And you're looking for every other option that you can look for and find. And can I tell you that if it gets you away from God's will for your life, you will crash and burn. And his will will never be used the way that he desires in your life. Do you receive that today? Don't rubberneck. Get your eyes on the prize. Get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on what he's called you to do. You know why they're, no, I'm not going there. Forget it. No, I, I promised myself I was going to stop being mean. I promised myself I'm going to be a nice, nice pastor from here on out. Being mean hadn't helped. So I'm going to try and be sweet from here on forward. Number three, resentment will diminish your productivity. Jonah chapter four, verse five says twice that Jonah sat down. Think about that. Here's a man that not long before, he was preaching the gospel. I mean, he was going to where the masses were. He was going to those that needed to hear the good news of God, that there was redemption available in God. He was going, he was finding them, he was walking, he was preaching, he was teaching, he was doing what God had called him to do. And because he got angry with God, and because he became resentful, because his prophecy came what was false and did not come true. And then God gave him a bush to give him some shade. And then God gave him something else. And he gave him the worm. And then God gave an east wind just, just to irritate the fire. Can I tell you that God who is a loving God will sometimes irritate you to no end just to mess up your wonderful Saturday. Hey, God will take you any way you come to him, but he is not going to leave you that way. Can I be mean just for a minute? Just for a short, just for a minute, I promise. I don't know where we came up with this attitude and this idea in the church that grace is grace always and it doesn't matter what you do and what you say. Just don't worry about it. God will forgive you. Let me tell you something. The scripture tells us not to presume upon the mercy of the Lord God Almighty, but that we are to obey his commands and to walk in his ways and allow fruit to be seen in our lives. 
He sat down. Think about how absurd that is. Just think about it. I can't even imagine. I've never in my life preached to 120,000 people. Have you, Danny? Never in my life. How about you, Brian? 120,000. Me neither. I've dreamed about it. There have been times in my dreams that I was standing in front of everyone, the entire world, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, and people are, they're rising and they're, oh, that was the most wonderful message that I've ever heard in my life. That was wonderful. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. <laughs> I love it when I go stand back in the door and people come by, oh, that was so good, Pastor. That's the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. I'm standing there saying, I wish that were true. <laughs> but it's not. You're just trying to make me feel good, and you're lying now, and I'm going to have to pray for you so you don't go to hell this week. (laughs) We have all these dreams, 120,000 people come to Jehovah because of the words of Jonah. I need to write me a book. need to get me a manager. Need to set up some, 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 uh, some dates around the world. Need to get me some of those yum center. Oh, yeah, I can fill yum center up. I can't wait until I have, oh, man, my name, it's out there. People are paying attention now to me. I need to get me a photographer so they can come and take all those pretty pictures of me and Photoshop me, get my belly out just a little bit, slim it up some, slim me up some, pull a little, you know, get me a, one of those young hairdos that stands straight up and all that kind of stuff. Need to get me one of those. Here he is. I mean, 120,000 people had just come to Jehovah. And that's what he's doing. Isn't it absolutely absurd? I know some of you are thinking, yeah, that Jonah, he's an idiot. He's stupid. I'm telling you, I don't want to be like Jonah. I don't want to be like Jonah. And we're all like Jonah. Because God uses us in this awesome way. And we get these emails. That's the best sermon I've ever heard. I, you know, that, there's been some lady. I, and, and I don't know who you are, but thank God that you're there. I know you're there this morning. I've already seen somebody from Madera, California has been watching our live stream for the last month. I don't know who she is. I don't know who she's connected to, but I got to thinking one day, hey, that's pretty good. Madera, California. Man, that's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Isn't that cool? Our church is great. This is wonderful. And then I get a text from somebody, oh, by the way, I, you know, I won't be at church Sunday. I'm too tired. <laughs> a 
And yet we all find ourselves in those situations. Been fighting with your wife or your husband for the last six months. And finally you say, well, let's sit down and talk about this. Let's get this worked out. And you sit down and, and you, you work it out and you talk about it and you decide who's been wrong and who's been right. And I've been wrong here. I was there wrong there. And I, I'm sorry. I apologize. Let's fix it. Let's get it right. And everything's good. And you kiss each other right on the mouth and, and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then you come back the second time and kiss again. And then a third time and a fourth. And I, I'm not going any further than that. But I'm telling you, victory, victory, victory is mine. I've had it in my soul. And then, and then two days later, we're mad all over again. We're angry all over again. I knew you wouldn't be able to keep the agreement. I knew, I knew, I knew. I don't know why I ever married a fool like you. And we get our eyes off of our relationships and what we're supposed to be doing and our productivity in our, in our world, in our family, in our relationships begin to diminish. We find ourselves pouting instead of praising. Pouting instead of praising. And so we make decisions when we're pouting that we should never make unless we're in the process of praising. I remember calling an overseer several years ago. It was Monday. Pastors should never call the overseer on Monday. They never should. But I felt like I'd done all the good that I could do, that I wasn't doing well, I was failing. Surely this church could do better with somebody other than me. Called him up. I need a move. I need to go somewhere. Where do you, do you think God's calling you here? No. Do you think God's calling you there? No. You think God's calling you over here? No. I'm just throwing myself upon your mercies, Bishop. Just send me wherever you think I should go. Well, how about you go here? No, 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 no. I could never go there. I'm not going there. I'm until finally they get around and say, listen, don't you ever call me on Monday again. Pull your big boy pants up and get back in the game and start preaching the word of God and loving the people that God has called you to love and stop calling me every Monday because I'm not going to take your call anymore. And I had to learn that if I let my mind get wrapped around all the stuff, if I get my mind wrapped around the things that are temporary fixes to my problem and I can't see the permanent fix in God, my Savior, then I'm in a dangerous place and I'll never be any use to anyone. Finally, and I'm done. Say amen. Come ahead and help me if you will. As we've already discussed, resentment will distort your perspective. Resentment will shift our values and make us focus on ourselves. I was watching some movie. My wife subscribed to some, what's it called? Pure Flicks. She's tired of looking at all the nonsense on TV, so she decided she's going to go out and get one of these holy stations and 
put it on there and she's been making me watch it for the last several nights and it's the worst acting I've ever seen in my life ever. That's the reason it's cheap. You're right. They can't afford to pay actors. It's about this horse farmer and this horse farmer got kicked in the head the other night. Thank God he didn't die. Everybody gathered around and prayed for him. He got healed. But when he got kicked in the head, they created this effect with the cameras. And, and, and things started going like this. It's supposed to be what you were supposed to experience if you'd have just got kicked in the head. And then, and then the picture started coming out and then coming back in and coming back out and coming back in. I didn't get kicked in the head, but I was feeling woozy. I got to tell you, I was feeling dizzy. And I thought to myself, I don't know how much she paid for this, but this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I asked her last night, I said, what do you want to watch? She said, is there something on Pure Flix? And I'm thinking, oh God, no. Have you ever been so mad at somebody and so angry with someone and so full of resentment toward them that you can't even hardly get up and walk across the room? Their, their, pick, their, their face comes up in your mind. You say, get out of there, get out of there. I don't want you to get out of there. Comes up on this side. Eh, and, then, and then they're going, eh. And they're not doing that. They're only doing that in your mind. But you've given in. Let me tell you something. We've got to somehow come to grips with this attitude of resentment or we'll never have victory that God has for us. Listen. Let me remind you that Jonah wasn't angry because something bad happened to good people. He was angry because something good happened to people that he determined were unworthy of God's blessings. And it's a dangerous place to live. A few years ago we used to sing this song it's a new season it's a new day stop just for a minute I want to sing fresh anointing coming my way it's a season of power and prosperity. 
It's a new season coming to me. Sing it with me. It's a new season. It's a new day. Fresh anointing is flowing my way. It's a season of power and prosperity. It's a new season coming to me. Go ahead. Play whatever you want now. I'm done. This week, when I'm sitting on the front porch of my house, your house, your parsonage, I'm praying and I'm going through my notes and the things that I've written. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, that's you. He said, you don't mind singing that song when the blessing is coming to you. But when the blessing is coming to someone else, you cannot rejoice in their blessing. Like Jonah, I had to say, You're right, Father. You're right. You're right. And I started asking the Holy Spirit to reveal instances to me. I remember going all the way back to seven years ago when I came here as your pastor and I thought to myself people give me a chance they'll give me an opportunity they'll, they'll work with me but it didn't take long for some of them to look at me and say nah I'm out of here I'm gone and many of them went to that church and some went to the church over there and others went to a church over there and others went to a church over there and it dawned on me that I wasn't rejoicing in their success because of the difficulties that we've had to fight through here. Seven years. Just the other day, Erling came in and dropped a packet of information on my desk. She said, you'll need this. I took it. I opened my drawer and I threw it in the drawer and shut the door. I called the administrative bishop and I said, I don't want you to send me anymore. I'm done. Thank God he wasn't on the other end of the line when I said. to me I came here seven years ago 
And I was so hurt for you that somewhere in there I took on an offense that was not my offense to take on. And I allowed it to affect me in ways that I should have never allowed it to affect me. Nobody did anything to me. It's it's not my offense. And sitting right there the other day, the Lord said, I'm going to do a work in you, Pastor, that is going to uproot and remove that offense from your spirit so that you can lead this people that I have asked you to lead. He said, when I sent you here, you were here. They were here. And all I wanted you to do is just pull him up little by little, pull him up little by little, pull him up little by little, pull him up. Till eventually you could journey together. But instead, you've allowed them to pull them, pull you down little by little and pull you down and pull you down and pull you down. I've got an announcement to make today. I'm telling you, I apologize to you. That was not good leadership. That was not what God called me to do. And I apologize to you for not leading you the way that I could have and the way that I should have. But you're looking at a man today who has got it under the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm ready to move forward and set the offense aside and move forward. And I'm going to rejoice in wherever God's blessings are flowing. Because it's His kingdom. It is not mine. And His kingdom must advance. Father, I thank you for your spirit. I'm so thankful, Lord God, that you work with us. I'm so thankful that even someone like Jonah, who got so far off base, was still able to receive your mercy. And I'm so thankful, Father, that you would take someone like me and forgive me and raise me up and give me another opportunity to lead properly and to lead the way that you would have me lead. And I thank you for the future and all that it has in store for us with your spirit moving freely. In Jesus' name.